If there's one phrase that sums up the physical therapy profession, that phrase would be, it depends. Welcome to the Tales from the Plant podcast, where we will explore the notorious it depends phrase through interesting and in-depth interviews with physical therapists from all types of practice. Join us for inspiration, laughs, and tips and tricks in starting and improving your clinical practice. Welcome Welcome to to Tales Tales from from the Plant podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Plinth. Today, we are very lucky to have Carmen Elliott on the podcast with us. Carmen, go ahead and say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone. So Carmen um, is one of the many awesome people that we were lucky enough to meet while we were at the Combined Sections meeting this year in San Antonio, Texas. Um, Carmen was put into contact with us with a person who's familiar with our podcast, Dr. Drew Contreras. Carmen is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the APTA, as well as the Executive Director of the PT Fund for the APTA as well. Um, So she is here today to talk to us about primarily the diversity, equity, and inclusion aspect of that. Um, So Carmen, if you wanna go ahead and just start off, kind of just give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself, whether that's your academic career, um, why you joined the APTA or whatever whatever you think. Of course. Again, I am Carmen Elliott. I am an African-American cisgender female. I go by the pronouns of she, her, and hers. I am, as previously said, the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with APTA. And I also serve as the Executive Director of the Physical Therapy Fund, which houses our scholarships for physical therapists, physical therapist assistants, and faculty. As for my academic background, I have a BS in biology, I have an MS in healthcare management, and I'm currently working on my doctorate in human services with a focus on organizational leadership. I am a certified association executive, which is also called a CAE, uh, which means I basically possess the competencies uh, for association and nonprofit management. I am also a scholar of the American Society of Association Executives Diversity Executive Leadership Program. And this is an accelerated program that uh, focuses on education, mentoring, and volunteer service in the association community. I am certified in diversity management and possess quite a few certificates within the DEI space. Uh, my overall personal mission in life is to ensure people have access to healthcare, that their basic needs are met. So growing up in a family that seemed fairly healthy but had underlying conditions such as hypertension and heart disease, accessing healthcare is very important to me. So that led me into the field of healthcare administration. So at one point, I wanted to be a healthcare provider. I did apply to PT school, didn't get accepted, but I landed on the business side of healthcare and uh, advocated for access to services from the administrative side of the field. Uh, My work background includes working for healthcare organizations, including a PT practice some years ago and with insurance companies. So I came to APTA about 15 years ago, mostly focusing on reimbursement for physical therapist services and also ensuring that patients have access to PT services. 
still with advocacy on the brain, uh, along with the overall organizational performance, I transitioned into the DEI space probably about four or five years ago. And this happened, um, of course, before the events of 2020. Um, but it was always a vision of APTA to really reignite our passion in DEI space. Uh, that was precipitated by our previous president, Dr. Sharon Dunn, and is still going forward with our current president, Roger Herr. So uh, overall, on a personal note, I love family. Anything that involves my family, I enjoy. We enjoy hiking. We enjoy traveling to different places to try different places to eat, uh, take in family excursions. So you name it, I enjoy all of my time together with my family. That's amazing. You have such a extensive background. I could talk to you probably all day about it. It's so interesting. But one of the things that you said that I think is um, pertinent along with your diversity, equity, and inclusion um, role right now is the fact that you were VP of insurer relations for the APTA kind of before you moved in the DE&I space. Um, I've never talked to somebody who, who has had that experience. What do you think our profession's biggest barriers are right now to kind of getting the, the reimbursement that we think we deserve as physical therapists? Oh, wow, there are so many. Uh, Primarily, I would say there are few, but I mostly think about utilization management. So this is when the insurance companies use their own set of policies or guidelines to manage healthcare benefits. And this is when they tell the therapist, for example, you have three visits to treat a rotated cuff repair, right? So it's like three visits, really? So I really believe this is a huge barrier to coverage and ultimately reimbursement for physical therapists services. Of course, our advocacy team is working strongly in this area to be part of the solution, but there's still a lot of work to do in this space. Uh, second, I would say is our failure to be acknowledged or recognized in alternative payment models. So this is a payment approach uh, that gives uh, added incentive payments to providing high quality and cost-effective care. And a lot of these models, they favor physicians. And the last time I checked, physical therapists provide high quality cost-effective care. So why can't they be part of these models? So anyway, with that said, I mean, I really believe that alternative payment models is another barrier that we have to get over. Um, our advocacy team, again, is working very hard on these particular areas, but it is evidence we cannot or evident that we cannot continue on the payment path uh, we're on right now. If for the long-term sustainability of the profession, we have to do something different. Payment has to change. Now, you know, we're we're going to be new to this profession here in the next year, you know, starting out as new clinicians. What can we at the clinician level do to kind of advocate for ourselves? in this, you know, realm of, you know, fighting for our right in this healthcare field and fighting for adequate insurance reimbursement? Great question. So one thing I will say is to connect with our advocacy team. So we have uh, a listserv in which you can connect with and just go to our advocacy page on apta.org and you can sign up for all of our alerts. Uh, it gives you instructions on how to reach out to your local uh, congressional folks there 
on how you can advocate on behalf of the profession. Uh, definitely join us for all of our various uh, activities that we have going on in this space. But I would say definitely get educated. So find out uh, what particular issue is uh, in your particular specialty area within your chapter. Uh, what may be happening in Montana could be something totally different than what's happening in New York. So definitely learn more about what's happening at the local level and then get involved at the local level as well. So reach out to your chapter leadership, find out how you can get involved. And again, go to our advocacy page at apta.org and sign up for uh, our listserv so we can send additional resources and information to you. But it's so important that we have uh, you know, uh, assistance at the grassroots level. That's why we reach out to our members because you guys know best, right? You're out in the field, you're, you're doing this work. Uh, and uh, we really need your assistance in helping us get some of these advocacy efforts across the finish line. Yeah, I mean, and like to even jump in with that, I know that as part of one of our um, healthcare systems and policy courses, one of the like our assignments, quote unquote assignments was to um, go to the APTA advocacy page and um, help fight cuts in Medicare. Um, by sending a pre-made email to the APTE, uh, the APTA had already kind of made for us um, to our congressional leaders there. And not only is it easy, but one of our classmates ended up calling um, the Capitol and got into contact with one of the congressional people. And they were like, I had no idea this, this, this is on the docket. Like, thank you so much for bringing our awareness to it. So it's a really easy action that can bring about great results to the profession. Totally agree. And thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to jump in with that story. Um, I think the more specifics was he submitted it. One of our classmates like submitted it in a weird way. And the yeah, the our state senator called us back and like had a like long conversation with our classmate about, you know, this is why it's important for you guys, even as students, to be reaching out to us because, you know, physical therapy is not on every top of everyone's brains, you know, not everyone's thinking about how these bills being passed are impacting PTs across the country. Um, but I think that's a great, you know, option for us is even just sending those pre-made emails is, you know, a way to get the word out. Um, I think that's really important. Um, but what all did you manage when you were with Insurer Relations? I can't remember if you went into detail with that. Um, but what was that job like? Yeah, uh, so my area of focus was mostly advocating on behalf of the profession with the commercial payers. So Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, United Healthcare, mostly dealt with those guys. And uh, also with auto liability carriers and workers' compensation programs. Definitely uh, a little different than what is done on the Medicare and Medicaid with the public payer side, should I say, mostly on the private payer side. And what is really challenging on the private payer side is that there are so many, there are over thousands of different insurance companies over there, probably the big five, but then you have smaller insurance companies and they all have their different policies with different guidelines as it applies to physical therapy. So that was a challenge within itself. And if you think about when you're in practice, all you want to do is treat a patient. Now you have to think about all the different guidelines that Aetna has, Blue Cross has, United has, 
And uh, so it, it was very challenging. And our role really was to, of course, advocate on behalf of the profession to ensure, first of all, that physical therapists were recognized for the value that they bring to the table. And then not only that, we wanna ensure that patients had access to those services. A lot of times there are prior authorization requirements that impede access to physical therapy, or they would approve for initial evaluation and then you have to go back to the insurance company and ask for more visits. So meanwhile, that continuity of care was, was totally disrupted because of what the insurance company is demanding. Um, so with that said, it was a very challenging role. At the same time, we look for the small wins in between there, and there were some. We, we work hard for those small wins. But uh, with that said, again, it's, it's pretty evident that payment will have to change moving forward. So hopefully, uh, keeping our fingers crossed, we can move more to some of these alternative payment models that will allow for different ways to be reimbursed for services. I hope so too. And so switching gears a little bit here, I really wanna get into your role um, in the DE&I space. Um, it's something that I think is super pertinent in our world today. Um, so one of the questions I kind of just wanted to um, start off with was I actually rewatched a, a town hall meeting that you did with students um, I forget what university it was, but it was on YouTube. So um, it's easy to find. Um, but one of the questions that you had answered there, and if you could kind of like restate it in a way here as well, um, was that you know that diversity leads to better outcomes. And it's not something that was immediately apparent to me when I first heard that. So can you kind of explain how diversity leads to better outcomes for our listeners? Of course, yeah. There, there are many studies out there that support this, but uh, one particular one that I ran across was with the National Medical Association. So th this is the Black Association. They identify as Black for uh, the American Medical Association. And they did a study on assessing the association between diversity, uh, innovation, patient health outcomes, and financial performance. And basically what they concluded is that patients generally fare better when care was provided by more diverse teams. They also found that financial performance also improved with increased diversity. And they also concluded that, uh, that a diversity-friendly environment was often identified as a key to avoiding frictions that comes with change. So uh, it's really neat, really neat studies to run across, but there are so many studies that support uh, both in healthcare and in the workplace, uh, that there are better outcomes. And another study that I ran across concluded that diversity also benefits the healthcare provider. So as they work in more diverse healthcare workforce, uh, they have a better quality of life because they kind of finding their people or finding those who can relate. So they also have a better quality of life too when there is a more diverse, diverse healthcare workforce. Uh, there is still a lot of work that needs to be done, especially in the healthcare arena, specifically to PT. We're not alone. There are many healthcare uh, providers who are, or associations or groups who need to diversify uh, even more. But uh, with that said, and definitely we want to reflect the society we serve, right? So with that said, there's still a lot of work to do, but uh, it's pretty exciting work that's happening right now. I'm pretty excited about seeing where we're heading in the future. And I would also add to David that when I speak about diversity, yes, race and ethnicity play a huge part. It's a visual dis 
depiction, right? It's what you see. Uh, but I will also say there are other dimensions of diversity that are acquired and change over the course of a lifetime, such as religion, your socioeconomic status, disability, your political beliefs. So we factor all that into uh, when we talk about diversity a lot. We, we often like to call it the big D of diversity and how we think about other factors that play into not only race, ethnicity, but other factors that play into um, diversity and how it makes us unique as individuals. Thank you for that clarification too. I think it's really important that not only us, but our listeners understand that there's so many different aspects to diversity. Um, and so one of the things that you had just said kind of spurred here, uh, another question from me, um, you said that there's less friction in work environments that are more diverse. So kind of on the topic of that friction, with recent events in the past few years, diversity, equity, and inclusion has become something of a hot topic in the media today. And it's something that me personally, sometimes I get intimidated to, to kind of talk about or to bring up because I don't want to step on toes. I don't want to offend anybody if I use the wrong pronouns. I've treated patients who use pronouns other than what I mistakenly assumed. And, and it's difficult and I don't want to offend anybody. I, I try to provide the best care that I can. Um, so in the age where emotions are kind of hot surrounding this topic, um, rightfully so, how can we learn to navigate it to provide the best care and get the best outcomes that we can? Yeah, I mean, great. That's a great question. So kind of in a roundabout way of answering that question, uh, I love to read. I, I really do. It's one of my favorite pastimes. And I'm currently reading this book called The Business of We, W-E, The Business of We. And it mostly focuses on the workplace, uh, but its concepts can be applied to all other settings. And, and what it does, it talks a lot about the closing the gap in between the us versus them and how we create trust uh, with those who are different uh, from us. So they look different or they speak different. And how do we really close that gap into trusting each other? So uh, one thing I, I would do and great question, hopefully I'm getting there, is, is to encourage cross-cultural conversations. And meaning that create an opportunity to hear from others, uh, just in those you work with, uh, those you connect with, even when you're out talking to students, other students as you recruit into the profession, just, um, just try to foster that, uh, that environment of trust. And, and the goal is to really create awareness of the profession itself. So find that connection. Uh, for example, in my community, I engage in a program to ensure kids are getting nutritional meals. And during the pandemic, this became a major issue because a lot of times these kids did not engage in any nutritional meals at home. The only time they did is when they went to school, right? So now they are learning from home and they're in this virtual environment. So I began to get engaged in how we could provide uh, nutritional meals to kids who are uh, currently stationed at home. So find out what that connection is. Food was the universal language, right? Food is inclusive. So find out what that universal language is and, and really hone in on that and build trust around that. Um, and doors will open from there. Conversations will happen. The other thing I would say is uh, consult with others. So meaning that it's okay to consult with other colleagues who identifies with that student or that particular culture, 
people who belong to a dominant culture may not have the necessary skills to build trusting relationships with people with different backgrounds. So it's okay to consult with others. I'm not saying that that person is the spokesperson for that particular culture, but they can provide some insight. Uh, for example, as an African-American cisgender woman, I, I don't have all the answers to everything that an African-American woman uh, experiences, but I can provide some guidance and some insight. So it's okay to consult with others uh, in getting uh, that uh, environment of trust that you wanna build. Um, and lastly, I wanna just put in a plug about our PT Moves Me program. And I think that's so important for us uh, that we currently have that available because it, if you're not already connected, I would just uh, beg you to connect with that particular program because it provides such great resources on how you connect with others, especially as we think about recruiting students into the profession, right? So I, I'm always focused on the long-term long -term sustainability of the profession and um, PT Moves Me does that for us. So if you're not connected, please get connected. It provides a plethora of resources for how you can connect with middle school and high school students and uh, rebuilding the elementary school students resources as well. But again, just consult with others, I would say, and just uh, think about that connection. What is it that you can connect with that person about? Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Carmen. I think that's that's great advice. And I was thinking of a couple of things while you were saying that. And I wanted to like, I was lucky enough to grow up where I was around a lot of diverse cultures. And I think that really helped me as I grew up into being a PT student now and just being and overall, you know, growing up being a man, having that exposure when I was younger did wonders for me, I think, compared to somebody who may not have that exposure. So I think what you said about, you know, kind of finding ways to expose yourself to different cultures, different beliefs is just huge. Cause if you just hang around, you know, one set of, you're never gonna know anything about it. So I thought that was great. And I wanted to put a plug in for another one of our former guests, Eric Meyer, if you're listening, I wanted to share a story cause I still think it's so cool. I was shadowing him before I was even a PT student and he had a patient that was Nepali speaking and he had a translator with him in the clinic. And Eric made it, he kind of made it this thing to when he had somebody that spoke a different language, he would look up different words in their language like pain or a certain exercise. And he would look it up and figure out how to say it and he would do it. And you would almost see this look on their face where they were like, I can't believe he took the time to do that and it just looked like they appreciated it so much. So Eric, you're doing great things out there. That's awesome. So Carmen, another question I had, um, so you've been with APTA 15 years and how have you seen our profession as a whole grow in this kind of inclusivity and how have we become better over the years? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I, I will say there, there's definitely still a, a lot of work to, to do, but one thing I have seen is that we have made progress. And to me, it's all about celebrating those small steps to get to the bigger steps. And when you're dealing with ingrained systems, it takes time for it to evolve. 
no matter how committed the organization is, no matter how committed uh, folks around you are, it still takes time. So with that said, uh, I'm happy to, first of all, say that we are having conversations that we never had before and people are listening. So while yes, there were quite a few events that happened in 2020 that precipitated a lot of these conversations, but even before then, we had already started having these conversations and they're tough to have, they really are, but it needs to happen in order for us to learn from each other and uh, learn and then act upon uh, what you learn, right? So taking action. So, you know, we could sit around and talk all day, but what have we learned and then taking what we learned and act upon it. So with that said, I have seen progress. Uh, like I said, we have a conversations like we never had before. We have uh, information. For example, we have learning center courses on APTA website, all about DEI, something to think about when you're in the clinic, uh, when you're treating patients who identify as uh, a dimension of diversity. We uh, have seen where our applicant pool coming into our physical therapy centralized application system has increased year over year. So we've seen where diverse, more diverse applicants are coming into the uh, student pool. So we're pretty excited about that, specifically with uh, Black and African-American, Hispanic, Latino students. So we're pretty happy with that too. Uh, but again, we realize there's still a lot of work to do. So I have seen progress uh, and we anticipate that this will continue to grow. But meanwhile, we will celebrate those small wins while we are uh, looking for the big wins too. I think it was cool. One of the uh, stories that you had mentioned in the town hall was that one of the small wins was you had heard of a story of when um, a hospital did not have shampoo that was good for uh, African women, American, African American women's hair, excuse me. Um, and uh, the hospital had made just a small change of, of getting that shampoo. Um, and even that kind of a small victory is big because truly DEI is such a big issue that you're not going to just get constant big victories it has to come in small steps over time and i, I think just like a side point to it too um you know i feel like after events like that happened in 2020 because it is such like a big topic right now there's probably all this spur for change but it's important for you know you to come on these podcasts or you to do the things that you're doing and i commend you on it because you're making sure that the events that spurred the change as occurring now don't just fizzle out over time and that the conversations continue and the change continues to happen long after these these social things fade away. That's that's such a great point, David, uh, because there is uh, there is some fatigue, right? So while, again, the events of 2020 did precipitate a lot of this, but there are some folks who are just just fatigued. They're, they're tired. And what uh, those in my space, what we don't want to see is that we're so fatigued that we just can't continue to uh, advocate uh, for change or pursue change because, because it's so important uh, as we think about the future of our society, as we think about the future of our professions, we want to be sure that we, we continue to stay the course. Uh, and, you know, one of my goals is to ensure that DEI is uh, interwoven in everything that we do, that we won't necessarily have these conversations. It's just embedded uh, in what we do. So I often like to say that um, D, E, and I should be viewed from a, a, a lens, not a lane, right? So it's just not in a lane, but it's, it's through a lens. 
And uh, I, I think that's really important to make note that uh, so folks do get tired, uh, especially in this space, but we don't want to lose momentum, especially when we have progressed, progressed so far. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited about what the future will bring and how we continue to uh, make changes in, in the profession of PT and continue to aim for reflecting the society that we do serve. So related to that, we had talked about how, especially recently, this has been a very hot topic and with fatigue and people are passionate. I feel like no matter what side they're on of it, you know, progressive side or the non-progressive side of it, do you have any advice for someone who maybe is looking to educate someone who isn't getting it or, you know, isn't buying in? Do you have any advice on like how to approach someone like that when you're going to educate them and, you know, try to get them to understand how important this is? Oh, great question. Uh, yeah, I, I would say, well, first recognize that resistance to change reflects deep concerns about letting go of something, specifically power. So, and, and let me do a sidebar really quickly here, just a sidebar. There's always a home team, right? So if I were to use that analogy, there's always a home team. And the home team norms of communication and behavior becomes the standard by which all people are measured. And those who identify with the home team are usually those ones that have an advantage, uh, but they aren't aware of it. So if, if we think about, again, think about the events of 2020, it precipitated these hard, tough conversations because there was a sense of loss for the home team. And people, what I found is that people do not resist change, they resist loss. So therefore, I would say listening and acknowledging concerns is a key step to improving communications because no matter what team you're on, uh, there is a sense of loss. And those who are marginalized and minoritized have been the guest team for a long time. And now they have uh, access, right? So conversations have to take place. And that's the only way we'll be able to learn from another and to move forward with actionable and meaningful steps. So with that said, allow yourself the grace in the space because we all are on different uh, areas of the DNI spectrum. So allow yourself the grace in the space wherever anyone is on the DNI spectrum. Some are pretty far along, some aren't. But I would definitely say just be willing to learn, be curious, ask questions, um, do your research is really important. And then probably second point I would say about that is uh, lead with empathy. We know that empathy is probably uh, in a, is a very effective leadership skill. And you know, I heard someone say before, listen as if your life depends on it. And it's that ability to recognize the emotions in others and then really understand that person's perspective on a situation. So just don't nod your head and say, yeah, yeah, I get it. But how do you really embody what that, parent, what that person is experiencing? And then be willing to take action um, to help resolve the problem. So just not a... a, a just not a bystander, right? But you really intervene and you interact with that person and you walk with them and talk with them and then really uh, try to intervene on their behalf. So again, that's where allyship comes in. 
uh, which is probably another story for another night. But with that said, I, I really believe that, um, of course, recognize that some people are, they feel like they're losing when others are gaining. And that's pretty unfortunate because we all can win. And then second, I would say, uh, lead with empathy. Just be really empathetic to others' perspective because they, they are experiencing um, something that you may not have experienced before. And then, but how can you intervene and also act on their behalf or support them? That's an amazing answer. I love everything you said about that. And now it kind of leads on to my next question. So we're using the analogy of the guest team. Um, one of the things that we do in our community health initiatives class is in our second year, we go out to one of the inner city schools and we host after school programs um, for young teenagers, kind of like you know, grade school age to middle school age kids to teach them about physical activity and the importance of it and trying to kind of spread some knowledge about the PT profession because we know that if we want to become a more diverse profession, we have to kind of catch the diversity and the equity and inclusion from a younger age going forth. Um, one of the things that I noticed, and this isn't a knock on CHI or anything, it's just, it was hard for me personally. I felt like I couldn't connect. I felt like if, if, the, if the people I was um, working with were members of the guest team, I didn't look like them. I didn't talk like they did. I didn't experience the same hardships like they did. And as I was trying to put these little seminars on, I couldn't get through them. I felt like the time I had spent there wasn't wasted because I was still having fun with them and playing basketball and stuff like that, but they weren't getting out of it what I wanted them to. What advice do you have for someone like me, Ben or Liz, who might have those opportunities given to us in the future to actually make the most out of it rather than wasting time and maybe not doing what we should do for diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, uh, wow, that's, that's great. First of all, I'll applaud you for getting out there and um, working with, with kids and getting them interested in PT. So I, I think it's really about bringing that awareness, uh, which is so important. So uh, my knee-jerk reaction is to, of course, again, and I said this earlier, just uh, if you haven't already, get involved with PT Boost Me and for any of your listeners out there to do that, uh, because there are a lot of great resources on how to make that connection. Uh, second, I would say, if you can find that one thing that really draws them in, uh, I think that's so important. And that comes with asking the question or hearing from them, like what excites them, what motivates them. And even though you may not look like them, there's always somewhere down the line, there's a commonality that both you and the kid can relate to. So it's probably just taking time to seek out what that is, uh, but find out what really gets them going, what motivates them, and then work from there. And that will allow you to build that trust and relationship. So they won't look at you as if, why are you here? Um, but if, if you can find that, I think that's really important. And, um, and again, probably to my point earlier too, that I mentioned about just consulting with others who, who do identify with them. Maybe it's something that you can learn from other cultural groups that says, okay, here's something that you need to think about David when you interact with, with, with these kids. So again, Think about your end goal. Your end goal is to draw awareness to the, to the profession. Um, you want the kids to get moving, to get active. Um, and just uh, as you think about your end goal, just back that out and then build up the incremental steps to, to get there and really build that trusting relationship. I think that's so important. And you know, kids, uh, 
they, they can be a delight to work with, but they can be also untrusting, <laughs> right? And we sometimes we want them to be, right? Um, uh, but at the same time, how do you build that relationship so they can better understand the purpose that you're, you're trying to serve and really helping them and in, to grow awareness of the profession? That's a great answer. And, you know, it kind of segued into what I wanted to ask. You answered it really well there, actually. I was going to ask, you know, as a clinician, as a PT, how do we, you know, what ways do we kind of show that we are an ally without, you know, just kind of coming out and saying, hey, I'm an ally, you know? So that, I guess, was my first thought. And then my second one was, how big of an opportunity do you think the physical therapy profession has to kind of bridge this gap between healthcare disparities, maybe given the amount of time we get to spend with patients in comparison to physicians and other professionals? Yeah, so I'll address the first one first about allyship. So again, it's a, it's a great conversation that could probably go on for another hour on its own. Uh, one thing I have mentioned to, to people, and it's a great resource for me, is called um, Holla Back. I want to say it's H-O-L-L-A Back, B-A-C-K. And it talks a lot about bystander intervention and how to be that person or be that advocate for others uh, who are marginalized or minoritized. So a great resource to check out, but definitely um, it, it, it provides great information on how you can be that strong ally for someone. And we realize that it's not an easy road to take, right? Because you yourself could be uh, the subject of uh, whether it's some type of um, pushback or whatever the case may be, but it definitely provides great information on how you can be that ally for someone or, or intervene on someone's behalf. So I would rec recommend that resource or that webpage um, to check that out. So, and with that said, when you talk about health disparities and health inequities, um, this is a particular area that we still need to continue to evolve in. It really is. So um, we, we find that, uh, that even in the patients that we treat, uh, patients are, are going to go to where they feel comfortable and what they know, right? So, uh, you know, I was just talking with a colleague earlier about mental health and again, another sidebar here and how we do find their health disparities there because simply because of culture issues, right? Maybe there's a certain culture who just didn't access health, uh, mental health providers because uh, they grew up in a culture where you dealt with it. Um, you just deal with your issues. You don't need to see a professional for it. Uh, and I will say that that could be the case um, with physical therapy as well, right? So it's what I found being with APTA for 15 years and then a couple years even before then working for a PT clinic is that a lot of times folks do not interact with physical therapy unless they had uh, an impairment to uh, make that happen, right? So it's usually due to an injury, car accident, whatever the case may be, they refer there by their physician. That's usually the time they interact with PT. It's not like an annual visit, right? It's not like you go visit your primary care physician once a year or your dentist twice a year. Uh, so therefore there are some who just do not access a physical therapist at all. So it's really about building up that awareness and getting out there in our communities and let them know that physical therapy exists. I, I, I must say there's not a show or a commercial that comes on where I do not hear someone reference, I visited my physical therapist. It's, it's, it's just wild how often I hear about that. 
But even with that, there's still this lack of awareness um, within, especially within uh, marginalized, minoritized communities that they aren't aware of this valuable um, access to such a valuable service. And uh, so really getting out into our communities, I think is so important. And uh, so reaching outside our clinics and getting into communities and bring that awareness will help um, with as we move forward with looking at healthcare disparities and inequities. Yeah. Awesome. I, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, I was honestly, you kind of reminded me of another podcast guest we had on a lot earlier in our first season, um, Ashley Crew. She's a pelvic health therapist. Um, so she sees a lot of diversity in her practice, you know, between seeing, you know, LGBTQ, um, victims of domestic or sexual abuse, um, and a lot of other populations that I think you, they just haven't had safe access to the care they need. Mm -hmm. And I think a thing she said, or at least alluded to, um, is, you know, you have to meet the patient where they are too. Um, you have to, you can't push them past where they're comfortable. You have to make sure they feel like they're in a safe space where they're not being judged, where they're kind of accepted for who they are. And I thought that was really important too, you know, because like, I can't relate to other people on a certain, on certain level with certain, you know, issues. Um, but I have to make sure I'm there to listen to what they have to say so I can, like you said, empathize with what they've gone through, what they know, what they've experienced in their life. Um, but yeah, I think the work um, DEI is doing is really important. I'm excited to see where it's going. Um, so the question to follow up with that is what progress do we have left to make in this realm? Oh, okay. Uh, so I, I would I would say uh, one area is admissions to uh, PT school, right? So I mentioned earlier how we've seen an increase in the applicant pool for physical therapy school, right? Uh, but getting into those DPT programs is a whole different animal. So yeah, so while we've seen incre increase of diversity within the applicants, now we need to see them get accepted. So, uh, and there, there could be so many different things we can consider there. And but that's definitely an area that we need to further explore is admissions to uh, DPT programs. Second, I would say is uh, faculty diversification within these D DPT programs is so important. And I, I referenced this before, uh, and David, you might've saw, saw it on my previous, <laughs> YouTube video, but uh, there is a study that Johns Hopkins University did where they looked at Black students who have uh, one Black teacher that they're more likely to go to college. And the evidence was so compelling about how if a Black student had just one Black teacher by third grade, that that student is likely to enroll in college, 13% more likely to enroll in college. Uh, those who had two or more Black teachers were 32% more likely to enroll in college. And this is so, so important for their career, their uh, academic trajectory, right? So 
The same thing I, I believe can be applied to our DPT programs. If we see more faculty diversification, we will see where you know, more diverse students will be able to finish out their programs and really uh, when, when they do graduate and, and move into the field that they are, uh, they feel welcome, they feel be like they belong. And probably my third point is the sense of belonging. And I really believe this is more of an opportunity than a challenge, but how do we ensure that uh, uh, as we see more diverse physical therapists come into the field that they do have this sense of belonging, like uh, they, they uh, want to uh, be engaged in leadership opportunities with APTA, they want to be engaged on opportunities like this. How, how do we ensure that that continues to happen and creating that sense of belonging that sense of better together, as I often like to um, say, and has been our theme for the last few years, is that uh, when we are better together, it, it will definitely strengthen us as a profession and maximize our effectiveness, our outreach, and as well as our impact. Thank you for that. So we're gonna wrap up here. Um, oh, Carmen, so thank sorry. you. <laughs> I know we can continue this conversation for such a long period of time, honestly. Um, Carmen, thank you so much for your time. This has truly been one of the most articulate, insightful, current podcasts I think that we've done. Um, and so kind of as we part, one of the things that this podcast focuses heavily on is defining moments. Typically, we ask physical therapists, like, what has been their defining moment? The reason that they wake up every day to do what they do, um, whether it be a change that they made in a patient's life, um, or in your case, whether it be with insurance or DE&I, what is something that inspires you day to day, something that you can kind of look back on? Oh, gosh. Uh... <laughs> That's a great question. So full disclosure, I'm quite sure by now that your audience know that I'm not a physical therapist. Uh, but what, what jazzes me up every day is uh, a mission forward organization. And that's what APTA is. It's a mission forward organization. It has vision, it has a strong mission. Uh, we recently adopted a commitment to DE&I. So that jazzes me up every day. And then the members that we serve Oh my gosh, the, the, just coming in to serve such a great profession, that keeps me jazzed up. That's why I've been with APTA for so many years because of you guys. And um, so that's what keeps me motivated. Um, that's what keeps me moving, right? So, um, but I have a great appreciation for, for the profession and that's what keeps me jazzed up. I, I, I really love what I do. I love the profession that I serve and I do serve you guys. Um, and I really love, uh, the organization because it is mission focused. You do a great job at it too, Carmen. And let me tell you, you guys at the DE&I aspect of the APTA can throw a heck of a gala. We were actually lucky <laughs> enough to accompany Drew to the first one, um, like where you guys have like a uh, salsa type night and the yeah. dancers were there and everything. Oh my gosh, we had so much fun. Liz was out there on the dance floor. It was awesome. Um, so, it's all about uh, movement, right? <laughs> Yeah, we did. We, I, I can't dance. It was awful. Neither can Ben. So. Whoa, whoa. Speak for yourself there, Dave. <laughs> so, Carmen, thank you so, so much for your time. You. We cannot wait to have this released and, and uh, have all of our listeners gain this experience. Um, so thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you, guys. Have a great evening. <laughs>